It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Do you want to go into what you're watching and listening to and reading? Yeah. Pamela Anderson's documentary, which I thought was great that she came out with no makeup. It's a bold choice in this day and age. I didn't sleep last night at all. If anybody's watching this, go to hell. I blocked that stolen tape out of my life in order to survive. And now that it's all coming up again, I feel sick. I want to take control of the narrative for the first time. Is it good? Did you watch it? No. But I did listen to an interview or a snippet about how she said she met Tommy and didn't even know his last name. When Now, if you read Bobby Brown's book, who was with mm-hmm. Tommy when he got with Pamela, she would tell you something totally different. Mm-hmm. Completely different. Pamela knew who he was. She would talk about Charvet's pencil. But had it not been for Vince's love of humanity, Therese would have never met her best friend, Bobby. Vince came over to me with his entourage and hit on me, basically, and his wife was there. She was so aghast that she walked over to me and said, hi, I'm Bobby. It was the start of a beautiful friendship. She took my breath away. She was so freaking beautiful. It was like a light on her. It was like, oh, Bobby. She was so gorgeous that you just wanted to hate her. In fact, you might remember Bobby. And if you were a teenage boy in the 90s, you'd have a hard time forgetting. Certainly this guy couldn't. This is Janie Lane, the lead singer of Warrant. His band wrote such hits as Cherry Pie and Heaven, songs with seemingly innocent titles that are mostly about getting with girls. And Janie definitely wanted to get with Bobby. He was a dork. I had no interest in him whatsoever. He had a camel toe. Despite this, she married him anyway. And they were together for about the length of a Warrant song. After Bobby dumped Camel Toe, she was engaged to Athena's brother, Tommy. And it might have been great, except... I introduced Tommy to Pam. Yes, that Pam. Four days later, they were married. Lucky for Bobby, she never introduced Tommy Lee to her other friend, Blue. Blue is married to Jerry Dixon, the bass player from Warrant. So yeah, if you read her book, she has a totally different account of that. And Mm -hmm. I mean... Pamela Anderson talks about, I think you and I talked about how David Charvet had, had a, who was married to Brooke Burke, yes. what, his, what his body was like and all that. Was it not very good? Yeah, she made it out to seem that, uh, no, she definitely had her eye on him. Oh, really? And she was with, yeah, and she was with Tommy Lee at the time when they were together. And, like, they sat at the table together at the club and talking about how how she was all over, like, being flirty mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, according to her and her friends, they had met prior. Oh. And the reason why I know this is because I got really into, I wasn't into the hair bands. Even I am friends with Tommy Lee's sister on Facebook, by the way. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Because this is why. I was watching that, I think it's called The Ex-Wives of Raw, and I got really into it. It had, it had Bobby Brown, who was married to the guy from Warrant, uh-huh. and she dated Tommy Lee. She, Athena Lee was on there, who was married, who's sister to Tommy Lee and was married to Scorpions, drummer. So it was a reality show, basically, that was like The Real Housewives, and mm-hmm. they followed. So I got really into these chicks, and it's not even because I knew them from hair bands. I got into them because I genuinely enjoyed the show oh I ended up reading Bobby Brown's book and then 
I mean, she talked about how she made out with Leo DiCaprio. What? And he was younger than her. Yeah. And he- Pamela or Bobby Brown? Bobby Brown. And he had his hair up in those little hair clips. You know, do you remember those little hair clips, Mm -hmm. those little tiny ones? And he put like, don't go chasing waterfalls. And after they hooked up, he asked for milk. Aww. He was a baby. So her book was really good. Wow. What else are you reading or, or watching? That's all I got. I've, as you know, I went to Colorado recently. And of course, I flew to Colorado and I fly a lot. And I have this thing about being obsessed with researching air disasters. And this has been going on since I was a kid, right? I think it's been going on ever since I watched Airport yes. 77 at the drive-in with my father and brother. <laughs> And it really freaked me out. And then I started having dreams about air disasters. And sometimes there would be an air disaster after I would have a dream about it. I even wrote a thesis paper in college about pilot error or uh, natural causes, you know, for air disasters. So, of course, when this this show, this series comes on on Apple TV called Dear Edward about a boy who's the only survivor of an airline disaster. I'm like, I'm in. It's going to make me completely paranoid on my flight, but I'm in. I'm going to watch this. What's it like being famous? I'm not famous. Yeah, okay. This is grief counseling. Anyone's invited to speak. People meet me and they think, she's the woman whose nephew survived the plane crash. But they forget I'm also the woman who lost my big sister. So it's about um, this kid. He's he's flying from New York to L.A. with his mother, who has a big lucrative writing job in Hollywood, his brother and his father. And his mother's sitting in first class and his father and brother and he are in coach. And it's, you know, cross-country trip. And they hit really, really bad weather over Colorado, lose both engines, crash, and it ends up that he is the only survivor of this plane crash. Wait, is this a true story? I don't think so. No. Uh-uh. You know, when I was watching this, I'm like, oh, my God, that rings a bell about a survivor. And granted, they made a crash landing. So he was a survivor in a crash landing. But I have a story, a very true story about a 1972 air crash of Yacht Airlines, which was at the time Yugoslav Aero Transport, which was the old Yugoslavian Airlines, right? I have actually been on some very hairy flights, one in New York, one into New York when I was 19, and everyone was praying, and we were landing in hurricane winds. We had flown all around the country to try and beat this storm that was going into New York. People were praying. All the luggage bins were open. Um, crying. I was holding on to a stranger and we landed and our wing almost hit because we, we went to the side so much. Yeah, I got off that airplane and you know, when you deplane and you go past the cockpit, both pilots, the backs of their shirts were drenched in sweat, drenched. I mean, that was the scariest thing, but just, I think last year I was on a flight And we kind of hit some clear turbulence while the flight attendants were in the aisle. This flight attendant, he flew up and hit the top of the ceiling and came back down. And all these people were trying to help him. I 
I, I thought he like had a head fracture or neck fracture or something, but he got up and finished the flight. They put the carts away right away, but oh my God. So for today's story, I'm going to do a brief rundown. Adam and Jamie look into another aviation tall tale, the longest reported survived fall without a parachute. The story goes that a flight attendant was on a plane in which a bomb went off and she survived the fall from 33,000 feet without a parachute. They found her on the ground still strapped into her flight attendant's seat in the wreckage of the rear of the plane. Yacht Flight 367, the falling from 33,000 feet of Vesna Vulovic, a flight attendant. So it starts in January 1972. It was a flight from Stockholm to Belgrade, Yugoslavia at the time. Belgrade is now the capital of Serbia. And they were cruising at 33,000 feet and there was an explosion. Apparently there was a bomb in the luggage compartment. They don't know who put the bomb there. Several different people were taking. To this day, nobody claimed. No, some people say it was a missile from the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia that accidentally, they accidentally hit it. So didn't that just happen a few years ago too with the Ukraine and Russia that, that yes. Sounds pretty familiar. That must happen a lot over yes, in that area. I, yeah, I don't even want to fly. But... International investigators have concluded that Russian President Vladimir Putin played an active role in the shooting down of Malaysian flight MH17 in 2014. In an update today, prosecutors said they had, quote, strong indications that Putin offered missiles to pro-Russian rebels, but said they did not have evidence that he ordered the attack. The plane was shot down by a Russian anti-aircraft missile over eastern Ukraine, killing all passengers on board. Russia has denied any involvement. The, the plane broke up into three pieces. And what happened is she was kind of towards the back of the plane. Mm-hmm. And a drink cart rolled back and pinned her in the very, very tail section of the plane. And the funny thing was, is that she was 23 years old. She wasn't even supposed to be on the flight that day. They got her confused with another Vula or Vesna. So there were two different flight attendants that were Vesna and they accidentally put her on. She wasn't even supposed to fly. So she went in kind of last minute. She gets on this flight, breaks up into three pieces. She gets pinned against the seats in the very, very back by a drink cart. And the plane breaks up into three pieces pieces and some experts were saying that since she was in the tail section instead of just dropping like a rock it kind of swirled down because it still had its ailerons and rudder on the back so it it kind of made this circling down to earth the other reason they think and the weird thing is is supposedly she had unbelievably low blood pressure so she when the cabin depressurized she blacked out immediately she fainted immediately they think that a lot of the people actually got sucked out from the depressurization oh. and just like flew to the earth that way which is horrifying so uh, wait pause for a second did you watch, were you were you in school when the columbia blew up did you guys watch it live yes we, did we too. watched it live we did too oh, oh. That was, I was in high school. That tells you how old I am. And that was, first of all, our science teacher was one of the finalists to be on that flight. Oh my gosh. So our whole entire high school, our whole town was watching that live. He was even watching it. And we were in the room with him when we were watching it. What was his reaction? 
everyone, I think it was unbelievable. Like everyone just stared at the TV and everyone's mouths were wide open. We're like, what happened? I don't think anyone could really realize that it was happening. And then a couple of people started like, oh my God, oh my God. And and I think, I think one person, like, uh, I think it was a female teacher because we watched it in the library with like four different classes. I think she started crying. I, it was just, that was horrible. Yeah, I just had to ask that because it made me think of people getting sucked out. Oh, I was just curious if you had watched that live because it was very traumatic. I think Dave Chappelle has a whole bit on it about how yeah. traumatic it was for us. Yeah, that's that's the thing is um, I, I don't even know what that would be like to if you survive any of that. That's the thing. She was blacked out when she fell 33,000 feet. And they think that her low blood pressure kept her heart from bursting when she hit the ground. I don't know how that works. I'm not a doctor. So she falls in this forest. They also say that the fall was kind of cushioned by really heavy, dense trees and lots of snow. Apparently, there were feet and feet of snow on the on the ground and fresh snow. So like it a kind cotton of ball catching her. I don't know. I have no idea. So a World War II medic was was kind of in the area and mm-hmm. he saw that the, the crash had had, they saw different parts of airplane falling from the sky. So he found her and administered first aid and she lived. She had a fractured skull. Both legs were broken. She had three broken vertebrae, a fractured pelvis and several broken ribs. And she she actually had temporary paralysis below the waist for like 10 months. But after 10 months, she started walking again. And it's it's crazy because in 1985, Paul McCartney gave her this medal for the Guinness World Record Hall of Fame for the highest fall without a parachute. And I'm like, what was Paul McCartney doing handing out Guinness World Record medals <laughs> in 85? That must have been a slow year for the Beatles, I'm thinking. And she went on to work at a desk job for Yacht Airlines, Yugoslav Aerotransport, for a few years. And in 1990, she was fired because she was against Slobodan Milosevic. You know, that dude convicted of war crimes in The Hague, who basically slaughtered a lot of Croatia, Slovenia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, that one. She was, he was becoming popular. He was, you know, preaching that they had to go to war and claim. And she was like, nope, not having any of that. She got vocal about it and they fired her. And at the age of 66, in 2016, she died. So she died young, pretty young is what I think. 66 is young. That's very young. You have to check out there. I'm absolutely obsessed. There's this show. It's on Discovery Plus. Mm-hmm. And I think you can get it on demand too on your cable. This was the same kind of genocide we had seen in World War II. What could motivate that kind of hatred? That was the question that seized Western leaders. We had to show the world that we were not going to allow those responsible to get away with killing innocent people. This is a story about how the United States captured one of the most notorious war criminals the world's ever seen. Because there cannot be peace without justice. As a former FBI agent and chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, I had oversight of all 16 of our nation's intelligence agencies. My name is Mike Rogers. 
I had access to classified information gathered by our operatives, people who risked everything for the United States and our families. You don't know their faces or their names. You don't know the real stories from the people who live the fear and the pressure until now. There's like three or four seasons, DEA, FBI, CIA, they all come on. And so for each story they tell, this is one of them. They actually have the person Mm -hmm. that was involved with the mission, oversaw the mission. This one in particular, there was a general, it was there and, and he's like, you can't have justice without, he kept using this line, justice without repercussions or something like that. There was a tremendous sense of injustice on the part of the Bosnian Muslims. They'd been forced from their homes, their property had been confiscated. 150, maybe 200,000 people have been murdered. 8,000 men in Srebrenica. There were aggrieved families. And here we were forcing them to make an accommodation with the murderers. I mean, I would be in the market one day listening to a Bosnian woman complain about the man across the street because he had raped her three daughters and he's now selling vegetables at another stand and she wants to know why we don't do anything about it. Bear in mind what happened. The Dayton Accords stopped the warring elements. It did not include people who were war criminals to take off your uniform, give yourself up, you need to be arrested. None of that took place. You had a guy like General Christick who committed atrocities but after the Dayton Peace Accords, wiped the sleigh clean, and now he's a credible commanding general, and he committed genocide. So the Muslims kept asking themselves, where is the justice? And what we recognized and what they were insistent on was you couldn't have peace without justice. And so the justice meant identifying the perpetrators of the war crimes so they could be turned over to the criminal tribunal in the Hague. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Ciao, darling. The night before the launch, Beaujolais repeated his warning. But with the previous shuttle having just set a record for delays, NASA's leaders were impatient. Beaujolais' bosses told NASA the O-ring evidence in the memo was inconclusive. Challenger's launch was ordered. A puff of black smoke at liftoff was the ominous sign that Beaujolais was right. The O-rings had already failed. The smoke appeared when they burned. After a few seconds, a jet of flame appeared. A post-accident report by NASA described it with passionless precision. The plume is seen here impinging directly onto the surface of the external tank and the lower aft strut at 60.248 seconds. The sideways flame burned like a welder's torch through the gap left by the blown O-rings. It pierced the giant orange fuel tank and fuel began streaming out. Still, no one knew anything was wrong. Not until Challenger, its astronauts, and its teacher in space had flown for 73 seconds. At 73.191 seconds, a flash was observed between the ET and orbiter that was immediately followed by the start of total vehicle breakup at 73.213 seconds. During the next 100 milliseconds, additional flashes occur in the SRB forward attach area. As the ET broke up, the released fluids vaporized rapidly, producing an expanding cloud of gases, vapors, and cryogenic fluid with embedded debris and localized combustion of mixed gases. 
No shockwave or other evidence of a violent explosion was detected in the imagery. Illumination from a combination of SRB plume radiance, reflected sunlight, and peripheral burning of gases gives the cloud the appearance of a fireball. By 73.6 seconds, the main engines were in automatic shutdown mode as a result of reduced propellant pressures. The last telemetry from Challenger was received 73.618 seconds after launch. The actual vehicle breakup was essentially obscured from view by the vapor cloud which abruptly enveloped the vehicle. Hundreds of fragments were noted exiting the ET cloud. Those identified included the shuttle main engines, the left wing, crew cabin, and both SRBs. What was happening to the crew at this moment? They were still alive. Challenge is fast. Launch is fast. It's bang, and then it's a two-minute ride down. And you're conscious, we know that. Astronaut Story Musgrave told me the crew survived in that white cloud. It was Challenger's fuel tank that exploded. The shuttle itself just broke apart. The crew compartment with its seven living occupants was intact. The initial path of the crew cabin from the vapor cloud carried it across the path of an adjacent contrail, clearly revealing its truncated form and attitude. The left wing became visible at 78.531 seconds. The main engines and crew cabin are also identifiable. It took two minutes and 45 seconds for the crew cabin to hit the water. The impact speed was 207 miles an hour. A NASA statement released after the accident reads, the forces to which the crew were exposed during orbiter breakup were probably not sufficient to cause death or serious injury. And later, NASA is unable to determine positively the cause of death of the Challenger astronauts, but has established that it is possible but not certain that the loss of consciousness did occur in the seconds following the orbiter breakup. Musgrave, who is a medical doctor and surgeon, is quite certain. You died when you hit the water. You know that. You think so? That's always been controversial. I don't know, sir. There's nothing controversial about that. No. It's hard evidence. Yeah, you died when you hit the water. At the bottom of the ocean, investigators found that some of the crew's emergency oxygen masks had been turned on. Said another astronaut, Scobie fought for any and every edge to survive. He flew that ship without wings all the way down. They were alive. You could have lost consciousness at that altitude if it depressurized for a little while. But then, no, there's all kinds of evidence that you died when you hit the water. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. me again and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at miss 
@intriguepod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out missdeedsandintriguepodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guests co-host are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.